Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, children, fifth grade and under, you guys can go downstairs for your time of worship and time of teaching. And you parents, you can have a sigh of relief now. And uh, the weeks ahead, <laughs> it's one of those nights, wasn't it, Adam? Man. I, I don't know if you guys pay attention to Brent up here when he's playing that box back there, but that is some box. I mean, he was spurring it at one point tonight with all kinds of different sounds. Thanks for playing up here, man. You do a great job. But yes, next week, um, we're going to begin a new season here at our church uh, when we have our 100 back here next week from camp and uh, folks get back from vacations and times away. Uh, we're going to find ourselves full again in this room. And and so we're sending our kids downstairs early, but believe me, they are going to have the greatest opportunity down there to learn. We're going to have parents like you to come down and teach them and lead them in communion and a time of giving, you know. And so some of your kids that make airplanes out of $5 bills and stuff, like their pilot daddy, send them down with a couple ones or singles, whatever you call them, and send those down with them downstairs next week so they can learn what that means to give. And there'll be a time of teaching. I know my wife is on one weekend a month uh, for worship, and several of you are serving down there. It's just going to be a super, super hour for them. So tonight, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be picking up in verse 13. And while you're doing that, I, I just want to let you know, today's just been one of those days. And, and I know there's several of you in the room, but more of you watching tonight uh, online, uh, Paul and Pam Hughes. It's just been a really, really challenging day for them. And so in a minute, we're going to pray for them. But Paul... Uh, has been improving a little bit uh, the last week. That radiation re relieved some of his pain in his back. And yesterday he was, or the day before, he was able to go outside and he even sat on his mower. I, I think he rode it around, but they're not telling anybody that. But then today, uh, when he woke up, he, he just felt very much like the end had come. And so I know all of his brothers and his sister were called in and the girls came back from camp and and I came over, and uh, it was just a really difficult morning for them. But um, uh, he uh, was seen by a couple of folks, and he's resting now and is a much better uh, place. And, and I think he's going to be, be okay for a little while. But it just lets us know um, the struggle that's ahead of them uh, as Paul continues to worsen uh, with his disease and as Pam uh, continues to just be right there at his side. And so those of you that have been reaching out and sending notes or making phone calls, it's okay. It's all right to take time and send a text to them. They appreciate that, just that word of encouragement and most of all your prayers. So, so let's pray together. Father, tonight we are grateful that we can be together. We're grateful for such a big part of our family that's over at Wonder Valley tonight that I got to see last night that are enjoying eating together and playing together and worshiping together. God, you've given them such a great group over there to lead them. And to see that many middle school and high school students desiring, Lord, to learn what it is to be kingdom workers, to learn what it is to be part of your family, your body, and their perfect place and role in all of that. Lord, it's exciting and it's inspiring. And we look forward to their return next week. Lord, for Pam and for Paul, who have been big, a big part of these kids, at least the ones that have grown up here 
in their upbringing and teaching as Pam has committed the last 14 years right here at my side, um, teaching and developing our children's ministry. We're grateful for her great sacrifice. And now as, as she takes care of Paul and prepares him for the day that you come for him, I pray that you just continue to comfort them and be with their family, uh, be with Paul's family extended. And uh, Father, give them the strength that they need and the hope and the trust that they need. And Father, you know it's our desire that, that you would come when the time is right for you. And that, Father, until then, you would give Paul the strength that he needs to wait. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name now that we open your word and we grow together tonight. Amen. Well, you know, Jesus said to us, he said, narrow is the path that leads to life, right? He compared the two paths in life, the wide road that leads to destruction and this narrow path that we as believers are to live on. And that narrow path is sometimes difficult to stay on because of these topics that we've been talking about the last few weeks, framed in the idea of lessons learned. Proverbs 1.5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their knowledge and let the discerning get guidance. And we've said that one of the ways, one of the ways that this happens is through lessons learned, either lessons we learn ourselves or those that we take to heart from God's word. This week's lesson is entitled, Less, Less is More. Now, my brother-in-law, Dennis, we do our shopping together on Sunday nights. The lady over J.C. store in Salem, she recognizes when we come in. When Dennis goes without me, she says, where's your friend at, right? She knows how our meat is sliced. She knows I get three-quarter pound and Dennis gets two pounds. She, she knows it all. And so last week, Dennis and I, we go shopping while our wives visit with their mother. You see, it works good for both of us. And so we go shopping. And we were coming out of Walmart. We've hit as many stores as we could last weekend. Took about two and a half hours. They had a nice visit. We had a good visit. We were on our way out of Walmart. And Dennis said, oh, I haven't checked my numbers. Now, Dennis is a pagan, right? He's, he goes and buys lottery tickets all the time. And he hadn't checked the numbers on his lottery ticket. And I said, well, Dennis, how much is it worth? He said, $400 million dollars. And I said, well, stop the car right now. We got to look those numbers up and see because I want part of it. And so the conversation just followed after that. He said, what would you do? In fact, more than that, what is the one thing that you would splurge on if you won $400 million? Now, there was a time. There was a time when I had a whole list of things. But you know, at 52 years old, I have everything everything that I've ever imagined having. And so I thought, I thought, well, I just talked about a truck a couple weeks ago in service, and now that I've talked about it, I can't get one. So, you know, no need in, no need in going to get that. And I thought, well, I'd love to have a house on the river. I, I, those of you that get to live close to water, I, I just think that'd be wonderful to have a house on the river. But I love the house that me and Sarah built 16 years ago out in the country. And so I wouldn't want to give that up. And, and so finally I said, I want a fence. I want a fence that goes around my eight and a half acres and I want it to be where I can see out and see the knobs the way I do at night, see the sunset. But I don't want anybody 
to be able to get through that fence. I don't want to have to worry about them coming and, and taking my daughters. I, I don't want to have to worry about them coming and, and taking my tractor or my cars or, or the things that are most valuable to me. And I realized then that I've made a lot of progress. In fact, tonight Dan came up to me and said, well, one of the computers uh, tipped over and, and broke the screen on it. Now, Chuck's going to lay out on the floor. It's like a $3,000 computer. And, and when he came up to me, he said, uh, I've got to tell you something. I've got to give you some bad news. And, and my heart stopped right after today. And, uh, and, and he looked at me and said, the computer screen's broken. I thought, oh, that's no big deal. We'll get it fixed, right? And, and I've made progress in that way. That I don't worry. I don't sweat the small things. But, but when I was talking to Dennis my brother-in-law about these things, and I thought about this fence. I, I thought, I've made some progress, but possessions are still a wide path thing for me. They, they distract me. They take so much time and energy from what matters most. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 13. It's the capstone scripture for tonight. He said, being kidnapped and held for ransom never, never worried a poor man, Right? I love that, right? Being kidnapped and held for ransom never worried a poor man. He went on to write in his sister book, Ecclesiastes, he said, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. Now, I think our problem's twofold. One, we value possessions too highly. We looked at this lesson a couple of weeks ago. But more than that, I think the challenge for us is learning how to manage those things, to keep those things in proper perspective as we walk this narrow path that leads to life. And this is where Jesus takes us in Luke chapter 12. Verse 1 tells us that Thousands had come that day to hear Jesus teach. And I want you to look at some of the things he was teaching. Look at verse 1. He said, be on your guard. Be on your guard against the yeast, the pervasive teaching of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. And then he even gets more serious. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more, but fear him after the killing of the body who has power to throw you into hell. That's who you fear, and that's some serious teaching. That's some serious stuff about staying on the narrow path. And then verse 13 comes along, and it seems so weird, but it says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, hey, hey Jesus, hey teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> it seems so out of context. But, but isn't that often the way that it is? Uh, when we have a question on our mind, when we have something that's captured our attention, is that we, we want to know. We want to know right then and there. It begins with the day-to-day -day things that, that matter. And for this person in the crowd, it was an issue about possessions. Now, in this day, the firstborn was guaranteed what? The firstborn, all of us firstborns out there, praise the Lord. You're supposed to get a double portion. Mom and dad, make sure that's in the notes, right? And the rest of the siblings, they get 
the bills. But the, the oldest was supposed to get the double portion. Now, obviously, this dude that interrupted Jesus was, was not the firstborn because he wanted Jesus to tell his brother, the firstborn, to make sure that he divided the inheritance equal parts. And isn't that true? One of the realities of death is that it sure brings out the best in people when it comes to possessions. Families get into squabbles over money and possessions more so than anything else. So verse 15 is no surprise. When Jesus responds to this man, beware, beware of all kind of greed, for a man's life does not consist of what he possesses. Now, I want you to underline that or, or write it down. A man's life does not consist of what he possesses. Because I'll tell you what, I think many of us, even those of us trying to stay on the narrow path, life does consist <laughs> of the things that we possess. It's where I spend the bulk of my time keeping a car washed. I even wash the mower, making sure that everything's locked down at night, putting chemicals in the pool that nobody swims in. And then from here, Jesus tells us a parable that gives us three important lessons learned when it comes to managing resources and possessions. Verse 16, you've heard the parable before. It says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? And I think it was more like that, right? What shall I do? Like, like desperation, like, like a heavy load had just been put on him. He, he got this big, big crop, but yet it was... It was a burden. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, well, well, I guess I'll build another barn. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. So take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this man would be considered a great success today, right? To do so well that he has to tear down his barns in order to build bigger ones just to put the yield of the harvest from all of this land that he has. Yet look at verse 20. Jesus refers to this man as a fool, as a fool. So the first lesson is this. Beware when money and possessions begin consuming your focus. Beware, right? I've told you a number of times, my job is to sound the alarm. And so I'm sounding the alarm tonight. Beware, and I'm sounding it for myself. When money and possessions begin consuming my focus. Now, notice that the man didn't say when his fields produced more than he expected. He didn't say, God, you have been so good. Notice he didn't pack up his family and, and go to the temple to, to worship God. I, I talk about my grandpa all the time. It's been a few years, so I, forgive me if I just, he's been on my mind lately. And I can remember my grandpa's dinner table, and when we would sit down 
at night there at the table. It'd be dark outside. We literally would take our bath at the kitchen sink, right? No, no bathtub, no shower when I was a kid growing up there. He would take his teeth out, put them in the cup, right? Same teeth he whittled on to make them fit right. Put them in the cup. He would turn on J. Vernon McGee on the radio, right, Dad? We'd listen to a sermon. And then the three of us would have our time of prayer. They'd get out their little Baptist guide that, that had uh, the devotion for the day. And he would always thank God for his crops. He grew enough corn to grind to make grain for the cows, for the cows that were healthy and the pigs that grew and the bacon that we had that night, the tobacco crop that was the cash crop. He, he was always grateful. Here this man, God had been so good, and he didn't even acknowledge him. He didn't even say, look, I have more than I need, and so, so I, I'm going to take some time now to be with my family, right? Business is going really, really good. So I'm going to take some time with my family and deepen our relationship. Instead, it's like he's overwhelmed, and he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to build more barns, and I'm going to store up my goods. Now, it's not wrong to increase the yield. And, and there's some business owners out here tonight, and those of you that are starting businesses, and it takes a lot, a lot of work. And it's not wrong to build warehouses and, and to increase your yield. But the problem is that the primary focus in this man's life was what? It was his crops. It was his possessions. His farm mattered more than his family. His grain was more important than his God, and his possessions were his ultimate goal. Now, let me ask you, I think I gave you a spot. I want you to think right now of the wealthiest person that you know. Wealthy is in possessions, right? Because we, we all know that true wealth is greater than that. But for, for right now, I want you to think of the people that you know in your life the person that you know that is that wealthy person. We all know somebody like that. My goodness, they're all around us. Who is that person for you? Now, I have had the privilege of meeting many, many wealthy people, some, some of which who have passed right through here, some of which come to church here right now that are very, very unassuming. They manage it very, very well. But I met this man when I was 10 years old. Uh, Dakota Calloway just... He started his own mowing business this year. He's done some work for us here at church, does a great job. And I was Dakota Callaway, right? I had two riding mowers. I had a weed eater. Me and dad go out and we'd mow. And one of my first jobs was mowing for this couple. And they had the most beautiful estate in town, Redwood Gables. Had, had the beautiful redwood fence. They had their name on the post at the driveway. They had a barn out back, a stable out back where their daughter's horse was kept. And so I'd go and I'd mow their yard, took about three hours, and then I'd spend an hour talking with this aging couple. When I was a teenager, still mowing for them, I was invited to their daughter's wedding, right? I had to take care of the grass. I was a groundskeeper, basically. So I got invited to the wedding. And her wedding was the most magnificent wedding that I've ever been to in my life. She rode up on a true Cinderella carriage, I mean, this is, back, this is back in the early 80s. Big horses bringing her into not a venue. The venue was her parents' estate. It, it was beautiful, everything just right. 
when I got through college and was working in Louisville and serving bivocationally at the church, and I was serving as an elder, I, I continued to have a relationship with this couple. I, I would go out and I would visit with him. You see, I learned when I was young there that he had a special patent for concrete. Back, back in his day, he had developed this type of concrete that was unlike anyone else's concrete. And so he had been very, very successful, but, but he never, he never came to church. He was always so nice to me, but every time I visited, he was on the phone, always working a deal. And I felt convicted after knowing him all these years. And so I would start visiting him and say, hey, I'd really love it if you come to church, right? We'd spend an hour. I would get to say about 10 words, he'd take a phone call. I'd say 10 more words, he'd take a phone call. And after an hour, I'd say, hey, I just, I just came to invite you to church. And finally, finally he told me this. He said, listen, I'll come to church. But I want you to know right now, I've got to spend my time on this. Because I'm working on a deal that when that deal is done, you know that multi-purpose room, we, we were in the, in the middle of planning a huge expansion at our church. And he said, you know that, that new building that you guys want? This deal that I have is going to provide so big that I'll be able to provide that building for you. And to my minister's chagrin, I said to him, God doesn't care anything about you making a big deal before you come to church. He wants you just the way you are. But you know, the man could never let go of that. He never felt that he could come to church until he had this big deal so that he could give this big gift to the Lord. Sadly, he died in his den a few years later when he fell asleep and an ember came out of the fireplace and burned him and that estate to the ground. He never woke up. Now, some of us are blessed with hardship early in life that almost seems to force us to evaluate what really matters. But for others, it seems to sneak up on them like it did for my friend and this man in Jesus' story. Verse 20, Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. Then who is going to get everything you've plotted for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be for everyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, it's required that everyone who is given a trust must be proved Faithful. Now, I used to think that giving God 10% of everything that I'm at, that's what I was programmed to do, shown to do when I was a child. It's something that I've continued to do today. And, and I used to think that was it, right? That, that was the proof. That was the trust that, that I gave back to him. But it's more than that. As I read the Bible, I see that God isn't only interested in what I give back to him, but he's interested in how I use what he's given me. He's interested in the priority that I give these things in my life. He's interested in whether I let these things distract me from the bigger, more important things that he wants me to be giving a priority to. It's a test of my character. And so I ask you tonight, 
Where are you at in that trust? Where are you at right now with God in this trust? Are you worshiping what he's given you or are you worshiping the giver of all good things? What really comes first in your life? Here's the second lesson that we learned in Jesus' story. And that is that God desires that my trust and hope, my trust and hope be found in him, not the possessions that he's allowed me to use. And I put emphasis on that, use. Jesus points out in the story that this farmer who was now referred to as a rich fool trusted only himself. I want you to notice how many times that he used the word I or my here. In 20 seconds or less, he used I or my, speaking of himself, his possessions, his grain, his barns, his crop, 20 times in 20 seconds. He believed that the more he accumulated, the more he could control the future. Yet just the opposite is true. The more we accumulate, the less secure we feel. The more we have, the more we have to worry about and insure and protect, keep up, paint, remodel, and guard. I, just think about it. How many? How many of you were like me when you were younger and you worked hard to get your first car? Tell me some other guys have done this, right? I worked all through high school, and I was so excited. Mom and Dad passed down a car to me, a four-door uh, Olds Cutlass Supreme, 1980. And that, that was my first ride, and I couldn't wait, right? And then once I had that, I wanted to buy a brand-new car. And so I mowed for this couple. I mowed for 13, 15 other couples, ended up able to buy my first car. Those of you who bought, bought a new car when you were younger, maybe even today, where did you park it when you went to the Walmarts or the 3Ds or whatever they used to call it back in the day? Where'd you park it? Did you park it right up front? Did you park it in the best spot that you could find closest to the door? No, you parked out in the far reaches of that parking lot where nobody could put a door ding in your brand new car, right? I, that's what I did. That's what I did. You know, when you took your girl down, when you took your, your date down to the river for a, a concert that night, instead of looking in her eyes, you're looking at her shoes to see about the mud that she's going to track into your brand new car on the floor mats, right? Right? Not to mention the increased insurance costs, the excise tax, and the licensing. We think that the more that we have, the more secure we're going to feel. But Solomon said... Being kidnapped and held for ransom never worried a poor man. The abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. Jesus said, don't put your trust in yourself and your possessions. Put your trust in God. Verse 24. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds and takes care of them. And you are more valuable than those birds. The raven, a, a scavenger. The Old Testament refers to as a detestable bird. Yet God saw to it that the ravens had enough to eat every day. He still sees to it today. The raven doesn't stay up all night worrying about what he's going to eat because God provided for them. God provides for them. And Jesus says, how much more will he provide for you? But there are two facts about birds that sometimes we 
neglect. And we wonder why this isn't true for, for us. And the first is, is that birds work. Birds work. The bird doesn't sit in the nest all day and say, Lord, you promised to take care of me. Just drop in the worms. I got the mouth open. But at dawn, the birds are out foraging, right? They're out looking to see the roadkill that I ran over the night before coming home. But second, the birds plan ahead. You watch this time of year how much more bird crap you get on your cards because they're moving. They're getting ready to go south and bomb all those people down there. They know that cold weather is coming. Now, it's not wrong for us to plan ahead and save for repairs and education retirement. Jesus said no man would build a tower without first sitting down and counting the costs, right? You, you don't want to get halfway through and embarrass yourself, not being able to afford it and be a laughing stock, he said. Jesus didn't encourage a reckless, carefree lifestyle. What he's saying is like the birds after you work and plan. You trust God that he'll provide for you. Because the reality is, is no matter how hard we try, right? Anybody like me, you set little savings goals. <laughs> and the minute that you are not generous with someone else, the minute that you're hesitant to give up an hour of your time to go sit with someone because you could do this and make a little bit of money, have you found like I have, you never can. You just can't save it. No matter how hard you try, there's always something to, to spend it. But the minute that you trust him, the minute you trust him, it seems like there's always enough, but sometimes there's even an abundance. We can't control the future. We can't control accidents and recessions and nursing homes and Alzheimer's. We can't ever save enough to cover all of that. At some point, we all have to say, I'm going to trust God to take care of me. Jesus put it this way in verse 27. He said, consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin, and yet Solomon in all his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. I want to go back to something that the rich farmer said when he was consumed with what to do with the abundance of his crops. Look at verse 18 with me. He said, this is what I'll do. He said, I'll build bigger barns and store all the grain in my goods, and I'll say to myself, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but is it possible that this man just has a glimmer, you know, one of those moments where things become clear to him? I think he's had one of those moments where he sees the focus on his possessions and he realizes it's become a problem. But he feels like he is in too deep to be able to change it. I think that he sees that what started out as a good thing was getting to be a burden. And he's saying to himself, I've got plenty of stuff stored up. Got plenty of stuff laid up for tough times. It, it's time to relax a little. It's time to enjoy what has been entrusted to me. But he was afraid because he had both hands 
tightly grasping what he had. I know that's where I find myself many times. And having two little girls late in life has sure helped with that. I no longer have a vision of retiring. There'll never be enough, right? Right? I no longer have a vision of living until I'm 70 or 80 years old. It's, it's today. Maybe I'll get tomorrow. Maybe I won't. And so we set aside some so that Sarah will be taken care of with her young husband when I die. But we spend, we're generous with the things that we've been, been given, the things that have been entrusted to us. They're, they're just things that God's handed to us. I, I don't put those rugs anymore in my car, Dad, like we used to buy to cover up the floor mats so that when we trade our car in, the car looks better than when we purchased it and somebody else gets to get mud in the car. If I get mud in the car, I get mud in the car. If somebody dents the door, the door gets dented, right? The girls, they walk into the house and they're dripping wet from the pool and it gets on the hardwood floor. Well, praise the Lord. They were in the pool that day, right? Good, good, good. Here's the third lesson that I want to leave you with this weekend. It's very, very simple. This, somebody said to me the other day, I got to speak at a little church up the road this Wednesday night for a friend. And, and they said, man, that, that was such a simple sermon, but it, it made so much sense. I'm like, that, they're all simple. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Brandon laughs. He writes way up here. I'm down here. Two words, let go. It's the third lesson, let go. And, and it's really simple. You see, right now in our lives, most of us have both hands full. I know I do. We've got closets full of clothes, but yet we can't seem to find the thing to wear. Closets full of clothes. We've got storage units that we're paying rent on that we haven't accessed in months. Our mother-in-law had three of them. Recently, we got her down to one. We're building bigger houses with bigger utility bills and taxes. Both of us are working now so that we can have these things. We have schedules that are so full of commitments that we have no margin for what matters most. Solomon said, better is one handful with tranquility than two hands full with toil and chasing after the wind. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32 to those who are listening to him tell this story. What Jesus says to you and me, I love the words. Don't be afraid, little flock. Uh, be just like my grandpa or my dad saying, don't be afraid, son. Right? You ever had that wiser person sit you down? Don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, David. Don't be afraid, little flock. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven. He's pleased to give you the kingdom. What God has, he gives to us, to you and to me. But the challenge is, is we have to let go of what's in our hands to be able to grab hold of what God is giving us. And he says, if you'll let go, 
I'll give you two things. The things that you have, I'll make sure they last and provide for you what you need. You'll have purses that don't wear out. The supernatural will come into play. And the second thing he promises, you'll have treasures laid up in heaven. What's that mean? It means a lot of things. Treasures, your family, the people you invest in, the people that you take time to love because you're not out there killing it, trying to build bigger barns. <laughs> They'll be there. But sometimes I think it's as simple as what Jesus said in another place when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The world will say you're foolish, but as a missionary who gave his life on the field said, he's no fool who exchanges what he can't keep, for that he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. This is one of those subjects that the world thinks we preach on too much. But in reality, we talk about it far too little. You desire to be Lord over every aspect of our life. And for some reason, we really, really fight you on this one. And yet it's the one area that you say, test me in this. And Father, if we could get this one down pat, oh, how free we would be to live the life that you, you have planned for us right here on this, this broken planet. And so as we deviate from what the world calls normal to what you've promised, as we seek to live on the narrow path, as we seek to learn, to learn from these lessons that the wisest man who ever learned lessons is giving us, You've given us all that we need, all that we have, and you'll give us all that we need. You've proven, you've proven that through Jesus Christ. And so now we surrender our all to you. And you promise that when we let go, this releases your provision in our lives. It's really true. On the narrow path, Lord, less is more. More living, more opportunity to trust, and more opportunity to experience you. And so, Father, may less be more in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, I just simply ask you, what is it that you that you need to let go of. I know God's pricked your heart a little bit tonight in some way. Maybe you're confused. Maybe, maybe you think this is one of those messages you heard as a child of some man standing up front trying to manipulate you into giving more to the church. It's a message of redemption and freedom and life. The narrow path. If you'd like to talk to someone about your questions or your next step, this is your opportunity. Let's stand together and let's sing.